Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Welcome back, mining community. Um, I hope we're all well. So we have another episode, and today's guest is Scott Hicks, who's the VP of Corp- uh, VP of Corporate Development and Communications for Lumix Resources, a Vancouver-based Canadian-based and precious metals exploration and development company focused on the Con- Condor Gold and Copper project in Ecuador. Um, over the last decade, Scott has worked in a variety of equity and debt and advisory assignments in Canada and Australia. Um, and it's here today to talk about the company, the projects they're involved in, and the commodity outlook. So that's welcome, Scott, to the podcast. How are you doing, Scott? Hey, pretty good. Thanks for having me, Rob. No, and I appreciate your time as well. So um, wonder if you can just give us a, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your career, um, obviously within, within the industry from perhaps when you graduated, the sort of current day. So the, uh, so the audience around the world um, knows a little bit about, about the guest. Yeah, sure, sure. So, you know, I was in investment banking for about 10 years. I was at uh, BMO and then RBC. So, you know, two pretty Canadian focused uh, mining shops and uh, really kind of cut my teeth in mining deals in, in the banking space. Um, about five years ago, I decided to move over to what we call the the Lumina Group here. Um, you know, that's Ross Beatty's uh, development company. So for those of you who don't know, you know, Ross Beatty, he's the founder of Pan American Silver, uh, Equinox Gold, Altera Power, uh, so some pretty large companies. We're his development group, so you know our strategy is typically to um, you know de-risk early stage projects and then look to sell them to to large mining companies. So you know, I've been doing that for about five years now, and uh, we've made a lot of progress in in Ecuador and in Finland uh, during that time across our three uh, public companies. Um, yeah, we've actually had uh, Ross Beatty on the podcast. So, uh, oh, have you? Okay. So, uh, yeah, so this that was probably about a year and a half ago, I'd say. Um, so, yeah, we had Ross and had a very interesting chat with him. So, uh, on, I suppose on that, and obviously it's his development arm of his business. Um, how much? I suppose how much interaction and influence does he have on the on the company? And obviously, senior management like yourself, and obviously the interaction he has with you and advice. Um, that you can provide? Yeah, I mean, quite a bit. So he's not, you know, he's not formally on the board, but, you know, he owns 20% of Lumina Gold, 20% of Luminex, and 10% of our third company, Strategic Resources. So, you know, he's obviously a large shareholder, participates pro rata in all the financings, attends, you know, most board meetings, and and certainly has a, a pretty deep impact on, you know, what the group's focus is as far as what commodities we we focus on. I mean, when we put Lumina Gold together back in, you know, 2014, that was really based on, uh, you know, him wanting to do what we did in the copper space, you know, when gold was around 1100, his thesis that, you know, gold was going to get back up to kind of 16, 1700, which obviously we're through now. um, And his thesis that Ecuador was going to become a much better place for mining going forward. So, you know, that kind of high level, um, you know, strategic thinking is, is definitely what directs the group. Um, just wonder if you can just uh, tell us a little bit about the limited group of, of companies, because obviously you mentioned there's a few companies within the, within the group. 
um, and possibly some of the projects that you're involved in? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I'll start with kind of the largest and most advanced company. Uh, so Lumina Gold has the Congreos project, which is down in southwest Ecuador. It's the largest uh, gold deposit in Ecuador um, on a primary gold basis. And it's and it's one of the largest gold deposits you'll find in the world. So it's sitting at about 17 million ounces of gold right now and about 2.2 billion pounds of copper. So it's a large gold copper porphyry. Um, We've done two PEA studies on it, and right now we're doing all the drilling to take it to a PFS. So that's that's our most advanced project. Um, now, to get that ready for an eventual sale and kind of to create a, a single asset vehicle, we spun all the rest of our projects in Ecuador out into a second company called Luminex Resources. And that um, really took all the other properties. So at one point when it was all together, we were the second largest landholder in Ecuador um, and, you know, all those kind of partnerships and then our Condor Gold project, which you mentioned at the start, that's what's sitting in Luminex right now. So Condor is about a 6.6 million ounce gold uh, deposit with a couple uh, different areas on it. So that's it's quite a large scale gold project as well in its own right. And then we have partnerships on the copper side in Ecuador with with a variety of groups. So we have BHP drilling one of our projects there right now. We have a partnership with Anglo American. And we have a partnership with Jogmec, which is uh, basically the Japanese government. Um, uh, and those are all working on three separate copper properties. So that's kind of the Ecuador portfolio. And then the third company, which is our smallest, is Strategic Resources. And this was a bit of a play on, you know, a couple of years back, we had the view that we would see adoption of these uh, vanadium redox batteries um, and really, um, you know, increased steel standards in China and a bit more uh, demand on that front. And it's a small market. So, you know, we thought if we could get some interesting assets in the vanadium um, space, that would be a great way to play the battery side. And, you know, COVID did slow it down a little bit, but we are starting to see some increased adoption on those grid scale batteries right now. And some pretty interesting things happening in that space. So um, that that was the thinking on that company and, and obviously kind of putting tier one jurisdictions in there, uh, you know, low risk jurisdictions, because it is a bit more of a niche metal. So you know, we don't want to complicate a story um, and with that. So that's why we picked Finland uh, for, for our two assets that we have in that company. Okay. And Ecuador, what what was, I suppose, attractive, uh, that particular, obviously, country and jurisdiction compared to maybe some of the other South American countries? What was, what was I suppose, unique about Ecuador and why you decided to sort of focus on that country? Yeah, it's a good question. So, I mean, the group's history across all the Lumina Copper companies back in the day was, you know, extensive work in Peru, Chile, uh, Argentina, and and obviously Ecuador is is the same, um, you know, geology in the same belt there. Um, the only difference was it's really never been properly explored. And part of that was, um, you know, it is a bit more uh, forested. So it's, it's not as easy as, say, the Atacama Desert to to uh, see outcrop or whatnot, and then the other thing, which was probably more important, is the the government was you know during the late two uh, thousands and and into kind of maybe twenty thirteen, um, basically against new mining concession concessions in the country, and you know they had very restrictive uh, tax policies that made it quite difficult to develop a mine there, and you know the the Korea government, which is the one who actually put in the restrictions. They really did a reversal in 2013, 2014, um, 
started to look at how to open the country back up. I, you know, they, I think they realized they'd missed the last mining super cycle. Um, you know, the outlook for oil at the time had diminished quite a bit. Obviously, uh, this month, it's not the case, but, uh, you know, that was kind of when oil had really fallen down and, and a big part of their GDP had fallen with it. Um, so, you know, we saw that that was potentially going to turn and, you know, the country just hadn't had any systematic exploration in kind of the modern day. Right. So um, Congreos and Lumina Gold was our first acquisition. We had about half the deposit at that time. It was an old Newmont project. That was kind of our toehold into the country. And then we acquired the Condor project. We consolidated 100% of Congreos. And then when they opened up the staking system in 2016 to new concessions for the first time, we went with our database from our predecessor company and staked all these prospective, both gold and copper properties throughout Ecuador. And with Ecuador, um, obviously this podcast is listened to a uh, number of people around the world. I think we're in 170 countries. So with Ecuador, what's it like to actually, um, I suppose, mine in Ecuador, especially if a company was looking to sort of explore there, how how is it compared to probably some of, some of the other South American countries that are surrounded? And, and I suppose also their mining regulations, et cetera, and also their communities. Sure, sure. So, you know, I'll start with kind of the, the best parts, which is, you know, the, the infrastructure in Ecuador is, is excellent. So the vast majority of their power is from hydro. Uh, so, you know, stable, reliable, cheap power throughout the country, which is obviously very important for mining. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of water available for mining. Um, and, you know, the road system is, is very, very good. Um, and a lot of that was done by the previous Korea government with, you know, they, they did a good job of reinvesting all the oil, uh, agriculture and tourism proceeds into the country. So anyway, the infrastructure is excellent. Um, you know, the the permitting situation with the new concessions to start drilling and exploring there was a bit difficult, I would say, in 2016, 2017. I think it was 2018, uh, maybe off by a year, where they brought in the scout drilling program. And that was really a response to the government realizing you know, people aren't able to drill easily here because you used to have to get a full environmental permit to drill at all. Um, so what we'll do is we'll give them a, a small amount of platforms. It's actually, you know, about 30 platforms that you can drill off of. And then you can go explore because, you know, obviously a lot of these programs don't work out. There's not a deposit and people, you know, will give the concessions back to the government. Um, so they put that in place and really that allowed for earlier stage drilling. So that, that's been positive on that side of things. Now, the actual permitting of mines, um, you know, we've seen two large mines get built in Ecuador now. Um, Mirador, which is operated by uh, Tongling, a uh, Chinese company, and then uh, Frutos del Norte, which is a world-class deposit that's actually uh, contiguous with our Condor deposit there. Um, and that they both got finished in late 2019. So, you know, the permitting process for those to actually, once they were done feasibility to get into production was was pretty fast in the scheme of global mining. Um, and I think the country is really starting to see the benefits uh, to GDP from those two large scale projects kind of being on online. So that, that's been good. Um, community wise, you know, obviously we see in a lot of countries, you know, a broad brush applied to the whole country, which, as we know, is never really the case. Right. So. You know, where Congreos and where Condor are, we think those are the best provinces for ore mining in the country. Um, you know, where Condor is, obviously, it's where two mines have just been built. Uh, where Congreos is in southwest Ecuador, it's it's a fairly commercial area. 
Um, there's already, you know, a deep sea port right there. Um, people are shipping concentrated out of that area. There's there's a lot of agriculture. There's a lot of shrimp farming. So, the, you know, the area has been kind of terraformed already. Um, now, there's if you go to the west side of the country, sorry, the east side of the country, there's a bit more in the way of indigenous groups. Um, if you get up into Cuenca, some of the higher elevation areas there, there's been a bit more project specific resistance to mining. So you really do have to kind of dial into what areas of the country are you focused on. And, you know, what are the the very localized community uh, issues there? So, you know, at Congreos, the camp's been there for, call it 20 years. At Condor, the camp's been there for 30 years. So, you know, they're well-established well uh, areas where, where, you know, we have the social license to do work. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, any investors that are listening should definitely, you know, ask those questions of the companies they're thinking of investing in because every area is a little bit different. Yeah. And um, obviously talking about investors, what stage stages are some of your, your projects at? And also why should um, investors look um, at your assets now to uh, potentially invest? Yeah. So, you know, I'll break that up. Maybe when group, uh, I'll group kind of Lumina and Luminex. And, I, you know, I think I think Ecuador has been off people's maps um, and, and that is changing a bit. But, you know, when when I started with the group in twenty um, in twenty seventeen, a lot of investors would just say, you know, a flat no to Ecuador without really looking at the assets. Um, there's definitely a bit of a discount in the market to Ecuadorian projects, and I think that will continue to change over time. Especially, you know, we've seen um, not only Ecuador improve, but also some of the surrounding countries really become less desirable in some ways. I mean, we've got Chile talking about raising the taxes on copper. We've got um, Peru having a you know a fairly difficult leftist government, um, and just you know operating and permitting drilling there is becoming a lot more difficult. Um, so I think Ecuador you know continues to look better on that front. And then you know I think that from a commodity mix point of view, most of the deposits in the country are, are gold, copper. I mean, obviously we're very constructive on both. Um, you know everything that's happened in the monetary system plus inflation really leads you to gold. And then obviously the energy transition and, you know, declining grades in the copper space really leads you towards copper. So, you know, we think at Congrejos, we've got the right mix. It's about 80% gold, 20% copper. Um, you know, Luminex, the assets would be a little bit more separated versus in one deposit as far as the gold copper, but the company certainly got the right mix of assets. Um, so I think when, you know, when investors look across the, the space at all these different companies, Lumina Gold would certainly be one of the most undervalued in the space, and and I think an you know an excellent opportunity to enter, um, you know a, a huge world class deposit at a very reasonable price. I actually ran this the other day because I was curious. So when last time Gold was at nineteen ninety when we went through this, I think the company had a market cap of you know about three hundred and seventy five million dollars, and today we're sitting at a market cap of about two hundred and twenty. Meanwhile, copper is fifty percent higher now than when it was last time gold went through 1900. So, you know, we've seen these um, developer multiples compress and we're not the only ones, you know, I mean, there's there's gold plays in Nevada that the, the multiples have compressed as well, right? But I think, you know, we're getting into that point of the cycle where all these producers are going to be spitting off, you know, an obscene amount of cash at $2,000 gold and they're going to have to start reinvesting in new projects and greenfield projects and 
and valuations are reasonable. I mean, you, you know, you've got huge multiple spreads for these guys to pick up these projects right now. So, you know, I think it's an interesting time to be looking at development. I think Ecuador is continuing to improve. And I think, you know, gold and copper are kind of the right commodities to be in um, for investors right now. Um, I know you were keen to look and um, speak about sort of the price outlook of commodities. Um, so I just wonder if you can cover cover those um, and the reasons for your sort of positive outlook for the industry. Yeah, sure. So, you know, on gold, I think if you look at kind of consensus views of what the Fed's going to do this year, I think we're between, you know, kind of five and seven rate hikes priced in. Um, my personal view is we see, and, you know, I said this, I would have said the same thing in 2018 had you asked me, which ended up happening is they went to go to raise rates. It looked like things were going to break and then they had to reverse course, right? And as soon as they reversed course, you know, what did we see? We saw gold start running in the summer and then, you know, all the way up to, to basically, you know, uh, to new highs there in, in kind of 2020. Um, I think this time, if they reverse, it's going to be, it's going to be the same, you know, you're going to see a huge run in gold prices um, as, as the currency kind of gets debased. Right. Um, And potentially, you know, we'll see, but QE stopped yesterday, (laughs) which is unbelievable, right. That they ran QE into, you know, the hottest labor market and the hottest inflation period in my lifetime. Um, So we'll see how long it is till they kind of have to go back to that playbook. Right. And, you know, it feels like we're kind of one crisis away from them doing it again. So, I mean, that's my I, that's my belief on gold is, you know, you've got stability at these levels. It's kind of established itself, but potential to tick up higher um, based on monetary policy. Copper, you know, we're just not seeing any new big projects get built with the exception of probably, uh, you know, Ivanhoe coming online in the last while, which is obviously a very large mine. Don't get me wrong. Um but you know you're just not seeing enough new new projects come online, and the amount of copper that's going to be required for fixing the grids, uh, renewable energy, and electric vehicles it's it's going to be you know a very high use situation. And grades are declining in all these places, even the best mines. You know whether it's in Chile, other areas of the world, you know the grades are declining. So they're going to have to you know something's got to give, right? And if if countries are going to raise taxes. If energy prices are going to be higher in this environment, you know that's all these things are going to push the cost curve higher, um, and prices are going to have to respond. So, you know, I, it's very easy to see uh, a plus five dollar copper scenario. Um, you know, and and recently we've had investors asking us in the context of Congreos, you know, what does the asset look like at two thousand dollar gold and ten dollar copper? So it means some people are starting to price in, you know, just much higher copper scenarios than, than anything we would have thought about as miners previously. But obviously with the price of copper hopefully rising, I don't think it necessarily affects the projects because the projects are not out there. The large, big copper dep- deposits are getting harder and harder to find and, and the, the deal flow is not coming through. And no matter what the copper price is, all right, they might put a little bit more in, but it's still going to take it's a ridiculous amount of years to, to build a uh, obviously copper mine, uh, but obviously finding a copper mine and it obviously has to work to scale. So yeah. it's, it's, it's just literally harder to find these copper, large copper deposits. So, I mean, is there, obviously you're, you're involved in copper. Is there any other jurisdictions that, uh, that you may focus on as a company if you were sort of looking at copper? Yeah, I mean, obviously the group's 
vast experiences in South America. We we actually have a, a private company where we have some very deep um, Cooper Schieffer copper assets in Poland as well. Um, and you know, you're talking kind of 1500 to 2000 meters deep um, where KGHM is basically mining in Poland now. So we've looked at some, some things like that. Um, you know, I characterize the group as being pretty opportunistic. So typically, you know, looking for low price entry points um, for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, the jurisdiction's gonna change, whether the metal is out of, out of favor at the time, or, you know, maybe some, we see something in the deposit that somebody else doesn't. Um, but yeah, we're willing to look in, in most places. Um, you know, typically, I'd say the only area we haven't worked in really is Africa, um, but we've looked kind of everywhere else. Um, and, you know, copper's definitely been the focus. Historically, we also had a nickel asset in Guatemala uh, that was a DSO uh, nickel operation. Um, I wish we still had that today based on what happened this week with nickel hitting 100,000 uh, a ton, but uh, such is life. Um, yeah, so I mean, we just we'll look at kind of anything that we make think makes sense in the in the current commodity environment. Um, so, what's the the company's uh, objectives for this year? Um, obviously, each company might have their own separate objectives, but what is the what is the yeah. objectives for twenty twenty two? Sure. So, at Lumina Gold, you know, the focus is really the thirty thousand meter drill program, getting it to a PFS level, which we hope to have out in early twenty twenty three. Um, and then, you know, if I think at that point, it would be a logical time to, you know, talk to larger parties and, and see if they're interested in buying the project. It is, it is a very large scale project. It's about a billion dollar capex. It's, you know, almost 400,000 ounces a year of gold production, 50 million pounds of copper production a year. So it is a very large scale project. It's also, you know, basically three decades of mine life, right? So um, it's something that we think a major will be interested in once we de-risk it. Um, at Luminex, you know, it's a bit earlier stage. We did put a PEA out on Condor North, which was, you know, about 190,000 ounces of gold production a year for 12 years. Right now, we're drilling in and around that area to add mine life and then maybe add some more high grade uh, underground to that and, and help improve the project. Um, you know, it's about a $400 million MPV. It's 17 or sorry, $1,600 gold. So, you know, it's it was a starting place and we're going to work to improve that. And then in that company, we're also waiting, you know, for the majors to do their work, right? BHP is drilling with two rigs. Uh, Anglo is starting to drill in Q3 this year. They've got, you know, eight porphyry deposits they wanted to target. Um, so there's a lot going on there that's, you know, we're not the operator, but it's within Luminex and, and happening. Uh, and strategic, you know, we're advancing some permitting uh, right now for a Brownfields vanadium project that we bought that used to produce about 10% of the world's vanadium. Um, so it's a it's a vanadium pig iron asset. Um, and then, you know, we're also looking at M&A and strategic. So looking at, you know, ways to still add vanadium assets to the platform. We think it's kind of early days in that space. Um, you know, we saw uh, Largo do something pretty interesting in the last month here. They've announced uh, a physical vanadium trust uh, that they're going to raise about 20 million bucks for and start trading. And they're going to, hold vanadium in that, that they're going to lease into their battery production, uh, which is kind of a neat angle um, because a lot of these people who are buying batteries, they don't want the high upfront cost. And a lot of the cost profile of the battery is the actual vanadium itself. So they're going to employ a, a leasing model. And the reason you can lease it is because these batteries don't degrade, right? So over a 25 year period, you don't get any um, you know, degradation. 
uh, and you get to you can sell and recycle the vanadium all at the end of a battery life. So they're they're a bit unique that way. They're one element batteries, um, and you know they're not batteries you're going to see in a car, but uh, but you'll see them attached to you know a wind turbine or a solar farm or things of that nature. So we think it's kind of early days in the vanadium space, and then most a lot of these vanadium deposits will have you know high grade uh, pig iron potential with them if they're these VTM style deposits and. And obviously what we've seen in that space is, is very positive lately with prices, you know, north of $600 a ton uh, for pig iron. So um, definitely some of those projects will come into play in the next few years. Um, and lastly, what else has the group been uh, focusing on in the, in the mining space? I know obviously you're, you're involved in other things as well. So I just wonder if you can give us an overview of that. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the group, Historically, prior to my time, you know, they had a little kind of hedge fund set up that they and, you know, the group has a very uh, investor focused nature. So um, we've launched a couple or helped launch a couple companies recently where we've put some money to work. Um, one of them is uh, called uh, Anacortis Mining. It's a uh, it's a gold project in Peru right next to Lagunas Norte that Barrick just sold. Um, they actually just put out a PEA this week on, on just the oxide portion of the resource. Uh, so that's one that Marshall uh, has been advising and, and you know, we've obviously put some money into. Um, another one is, in its early days, is Atacama Copper. Uh, so I'm on the board of that. And that's uh, Chilean Copper uh, properties between, the main properties between uh, El Moro and Relincho, which is the Nueva Union that's owned by... Uh, Newmont and Tech as a 50-50 JV. And then, you know, that company is going to look at other M&A in Chile. Uh, so those, those are two other ones that we've, you know, helped kind of incubate recently. Um, and, you know, we'll look to continue to do that with management teams and, and projects that we think, um, you know, deserve capital. Scott, really appreciate your time and uh, give us an overview um, of obviously the group and the, the various companies within the, uh, within the group. Um, and uh, again, explaining to us a little bit about Ecuador, mining Ecuador. Um, if our audience wants to reach out to you, if they've got any questions, they may have not necessarily just on Ecuador, but um, obviously the Lumina Group overall. Um, wondered how, uh, how can they actually go about that? And are you across any social media platforms? Yeah, I mean, obviously, all the companies are on Twitter. I myself am on Twitter. Um, and uh, I don't know if you have a comment section, but we could, or, or a description section, but we can throw that up there. Um, but definitely visit any of the websites, luminagold.com, luminexresources.ca, and uh, strategic res. Um, and, you know, they all have contact sections and, and investor decks up there if, you're, if your listeners are more interested. And like I said, we're, all the companies are on Twitter. So, uh, I'll get you that information and we can post it for your listeners. Yes, yeah, certainly. We can include that in the, the show notes that will accompany this uh, podcast. Um, yes, yeah, so I really, really appreciate your time. Um, you may want to come on later this year or next year to give us a, a further update. And um, for all our audience listening around the world, um, appreciate your continued support. Uh, keep sharing this uh, episode Um or this podcast and particularly this episode amongst people within the industry, um, whether, whether you're interested in South America or not, um, it's certainly a, a sort of an in- interesting story, especially with a jurisdiction that hasn't necessarily been in the, in the, um, in the spotlight. Um, and I suppose they're the jurisdictions that we should really focus on, the, the ones that are not in the spotlight, um, especially if you're looking to invest. So um, appreciate your continued support. 
And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.